There's no better reward than Carmen Insider. After a long, stressful day, Carmen Insider is Australia's favourite way to release tension with free delivery to your front or back back door. Yeah, yeah, like front. Some people have back doors, Kyle. Oh, okay. Yep. With free delivery to your front or back door on all orders over $50. <laughs> you said back door. Uh, brewed for 10 to 14 days in an organic sack. Uh, <laughs> what's with this? What is this shit? No, no, this is real. It's for the ultimate taste and texture, you know, when you want to just get that texture right. Plus, for your chance it to win a major prize of 10K cash, tell us how much you love Carmen and Cider. Head to Carmen and oh, Cider. Come on, now I've got it. Carmen Insider. Oh, my God! Carmeninsider.com.au <laughs> slash win. Do you love Carmen Insider? I do. T's and C's apply. TBL is 07694. Listen, Libby, listen to Synchronon. Second run. Yes. You listen to the second run. The second wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Second Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. One of your hosts, you, Simon. Hi, I'm the other one, Kate Rambo. What's the crack, Hello. Kate Rambo? Uh, I'm sick and tired. That's sick and sick, tired. Sad world. Mainly tired. tired. Just the world. I could in have general. a nap right now. Well, it's got to be like, what time is it over there? Like three in the morning? Yeah, I'm always like, uh, sometimes when I think, oh, why didn't I think of the obvious answer to that question you asked me? Or why can't I think of the name of the film? It's because I'm recording at 5 a.m. after I've been up for like 16 hours. Sometimes I think I do quite well to stay compass mentis. Oh, that's interesting. I always thought it was water on the brain. It, that's what the doctor said originally. <laughs> but I outgrew that. <laughs> Okay, Rambo, I hope you stay awake for uh, this this uh, week's show because it is a titillating one. Hey, um, yeah, continue but before, our theme, be- mate. Before we start here, um, I have a hypothetical for you. Okay. Hypothetical that's somewhat spooktober related. Right. If the following two people, two people whom you greatly admire, Vladimir Putin and Kanye West, if they invited you to their respective Halloween parties, which one would you attend and why? Kanye's. You go to Kanye's over Vladimir Putin's? Why? Yeah. That's in well, Russia. Well, number one, Kanye lives in a fucking huge mansion. Putin lives in a tiny apartment. That would be awkward. Kanye, there'll be loads of celebrities at Kanye's. There'll be like Beyonce there and Jay-Z. I would see I more celebrities that. in one night than I would ever see ever again. I doubt they're hanging out with him these days. But you might be able to see Tucker Carlson. Sean Hannity might be there. I um, feel a bit sorry for Kanye. He's Marjorie Taylor Green. she'll probably be there. You know, I got to say, I'm very much enjoying Kanye West's public mental unraveling. I like how people are saying, oh, he's breaking down. It's like, no, he had his massive breakdown. I remember when his mother died. Has everyone, like, forgotten about what Kanye was like when his mother died? Because he was a million times worse than this. This is, like, well, diet Kanye, and I quite enjoy the controversy that he's stirring. I mean, I hope Twitter keeps allowing him to air his anti-Semitic rants. But the thing is, 
at least Marjorie Taylor Greene, who said Jews are starting wildfires in California with their space lasers, at least that yeah. was creative and original. I, you know, that's the first time I think I've heard that. I would expect something a little bit more, a little bit more creative from a gifted music producer than Jews control world banking. It's like, no shit, dude. Did you read Reddit <laughs> for the first fucking time, Kanye? Maybe he did. Maybe his buddy Elon told him while they it's were like, smoking cigars in the hot tub together. Did you just discover the Rothschilds? Like, this just dawned on you. I think he read, like, um, the Wikipedia page for the Illuminati. And he was just like, <laughs> the exclamation point came over his head. And he was like, they do. They control do. the world. Puts two and two together. I mean, he was so biffed when he found out that Jews control financial institutions that he tweeted out, I'm going Death Con 3 on Jewish people. That's creative, though. I like that, Death Con 3. What does that even mean? Did, did he mean Death Con, D-E-F Con 3, and instead said Death Con? Because Death Con 3 is a thing. That's the defense readiness condition, Death Con's alert state used by the United States Armed Forces. Death Con the only thing I could even think of when he, when I read that was, does he want to start up like a Comic-Con-like event, but instead of having nerds and like sexy cosplay chicks, it's just going to be a big free bagel convention inside a massive gas chamber? He's just going to no. turn on the gas? It's going to be, what he's talking about is the return of one of the funnest games of all time, Def Jam wrote the Def Row Records, the Def Jam Records uh, video game. I can't properly remember what it's called right Def now, Jam but I used Records to play it on the PlayStation. And you were a rapper, and you were going to like rap battles and do gangster shit. And that's what he means. He's going to start. A, oh, can you please go into video game production? I am behind Def Con Free. I want to see it. I mean, I wouldn't surprised if he went into uh, video game production because the guy is such an attention whore desperately seeking validation somewhere outside the music industry because he's a gifted music producer. I mean, he's, I don't know what, I can't even tell you how many gold records, but he's had a lot, very successful, a lot of like, uh, you know, charting songs, but that's not good enough. And instead, he's trying to like seek like political validation, get into the political arena, but he's too dimwitted to realize that he's just being used as a token by Tucker Carlson, by Fox News. Like those guys... They, they don't like rappers. But... I like the fact you're trying to say he's dim-witted compared to the really smart and intelligent <laughs> representatives of American politics that you have. Yeah, I think he's he is. The dim-witted I think one. he is. No, because... I think they're all pretty much on the same plane. No, he's being manipulated, and he's and, and he doesn't even he doesn't even get it. Like I think Tucker Carlson and. Hannity and the Fox News producers are like, we're going to get some type of credibility here being associated with a cool black hip-hop artist. That makes sense because there aren't many cool black hip-hop artists that are down with Fox News. And yes, Kanye West is definitely cooler than Kid Rock. You know, I, I, I get that. And richer and a smarter businessman. You know, Kanye owns stock in like Adidas. He owns stock in like Apple. Yeah, he's, he's not got exactly some... fucking twiddling his thumbs yeah, with what to do with money. He's got some good financial representation. Sure, I'm sure his. I'm sure. Well, he did have J.P. Morgan before uh, they cut him. Can I just say, D, as somebody who watches the Kardashians and has watched the Kardashians and loves the trash telly that is the Kardashians, then you would know that Kanye, one of Kanye's biggest hobbies 
is the stock market. It's like his other job that he does. I'm sure he has so he's consultants. Not, yeah, he maybe has financial advisors, but he that's what to. he does. He got the whole fucking family into it. There's like a whole series I'm devoted sure to his I'm sure they have amazing Jewish financial consultants. <laughs> but, you know, that I can understand why Fox News is totally like, they, they got a black guy that's cool with 31 million followers on Twitter wearing a MAGA hat. Yeah, I can get that because they, they have Candace Owens, you know, Candace Owens, who will do anything to achieve fame, even wear a White Lives Matter shirt with Kanye. Yeah, I get that. I mean, she'll do anything. But hear me out on this. And some people might find this to be a controversial statement. But if this was like during the time of slavery in the U.S., I think Candace Owens and Kanye West are the type who would snitch on their fellow slaves. <gasps> I do think if they found out that slaves were planning a revolt or trying to escape, I think they would snitch. And the, and the PC term for Candace Owens and someone like Kanye West, I think the PC term is house ninja. Isn't that the, is that, is that correct? Kanye is suing you next, D. Simon. He is coming for you. This is why you're the most hated well, podcast already on the going, for terms such as this. He's already going DEFCON 3 on me. You know, I wouldn't trust either one of them. And so I was thinking about them the other day. This is my prediction, or at least okay. this is my wet dream of what will happen with Kanye West. I think Candace Owens and Kanye West will start dating passionate love affair based on their shared conservative values and they will eventually marry and after a few years of marriage it will be revealed that they have brutally murdered over a dozen teenage girls of all races not just white girls not just black girls all the whole rainbow races i, I whole knew rainbow. where this, this was going my and, god i can't believe this is the segue and then they'll air clips of the interview with tucker carlson and pictures of Kanye with MAGA, you know, in his MAGA hat, shaking hands and smiling with Trump as the police just unearth body after body from the backyard of Kanye and Candace's Malibu mansion. What do you think? It could happen. Oh, my God. It could I hope happen. it happens. I hope it happens. They become another murderous couple, much like Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. Or yes. friend Rose West. All or classics, iconic. Western Australia's David and Catherine Bernie, the subject also of this week's ironic. show. Yeah. Um, so people are celebrating, uh, we're celebrating Spooktober. We're in the middle of Spooktober right now. And I, we mentioned last week, and, and it's still going this week, we're, we're planning to cover several macabre stories over the next few episodes that inspired horror films. Um, and if you can guess the name of the horror film that inspired the crime or event that we covered on the show, then we'll send you a, uh, a sick and wrong prize. Um, probably a t-shirt, but you're going to have to DM us on the Instagram. So last week, it was, uh, what, episode 864. Um, I would say maybe like three hours, four hours after that episode was released, we get an IG message from Tommy that read, I remember seeing that movie on Cinemax or Star Channel in the mid-80s. Angst. And yeah, it was a stroker. It is a stroker. It's very erotic. And do you know what? I've had several messages from other people saying that they agree with me that it was very erotic. So I don't know what you were missing out on, but me and these guys were all wet panties. That's how Kate Rambo rates all movies. The stroke scale. What was that? Okay, what exactly. did angst? Were they at like 10 strokes? 10 stroke hands? 
no, not exactly that. That it's not Crash, starring James Spader, the star of my sexual awakening. That's the film that sets the benchmark. Uh, Keanu Reeves in Point Break in the wetsuit also sets a benchmark. How many come cleans, come clean tissues does, uh, does, does Point Break get? <laughs> oh, it's pretty much about an eight or a nine. I just watched that the other day. You know, I can't go more than like, <laughs> there's like certain movies I can't go more than three months without seeing. It's like Point Break, Roadhouse. It's funny how they both Over have the top. Swayze in it. Showgirls, I've got to watch like every couple of months. That's sexy too, the pool scene. Come on. Well, okay, how many uh, stroking hands did Inks get, in your opinion? I'd say like a seven-ish. Seven, that's, that's pretty high. That's pretty high. Yeah, it was. it's higher than normal. It was erotic. Fully recommend that film to everybody. We actually, Tommy was the first, but we had probably, I don't know, 20 people? Ring yeah, I had a few people. Message us and about that. Everyone on the Discord, a few people on the Discord have gone and watched it as well, and they're all talking about it. It's a really fucking good film. It's a great film. We actually go into detail about it on the second show this week. But uh, we covered the crimes. Of, so that, that film was based on the crimes of Werner Niesick, and that inspired that 1983 movie, Angst, uh, about a psychopath on a murder spree. Well, this week, we're covering David and Catherine Burney, a notorious West Australian couple who raped and killed four young women in the mid-80s and whose crimes inspired a very, I would say, a lesser-known film that was only released a few years ago. Yeah, I know. I totally thought it was an old film. You know, same with me. For some reason, I thought it was like late 90s, that movie. Yeah, I think the soundtrack had a lot to do with that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it was good. I hadn't seen it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I recently watched it and I definitely recommend it. And I'm wondering how many people are going to be able to name it. But before we get to the loving couple, uh, Catherine <laughs> and David Burney, we ask you to support us on Patreon. I know we talk about it every week, but, you know, sick and wrong. And I'm sure most people realize this based on the content that we discuss every week, based on what I just said about Kanye West and Candace <laughs> Owens. We're never going to get any kind of corporate sponsorship. We're not going to get what like Rogan or My Favorite Murder or any of those people get. I think the only sponsor that we would ever, actually we've ever gotten is Adam and Eve. That's the only one. And, and I love the fact we have Adam and Eve and it's more of a, a joke now because it's not like we get money from them. Yeah, but I mean, I think we get... A code. We, we get paid once every like, I don't know, six months maybe we get a check. Cause, I mean, you don't make much. Um, definitely not from Adam and Eve, but sick and wrong is entirely dependent on crowdfunding because we're not going to change our format. And so people, if you like what we do every week, what we've been doing for almost 17 years, we ask that you just sign up for the Patreon, give us a couple bucks, support the show. You know, you're directly helping us keeping, you know, keeping the show going. Um, for only five bucks a month, you get two full shows a week. You get our regular show as well as our second show. Uh, this week we chat about, uh, Kate's useless college degrees, as well as my own. Mm -hmm. um, my crackhead neighbor, Marvin, who lived in the dumpster outside my second apartment in San Francisco. Um, the number of wheelchairs uh, that I saw at the Testament, Exodus, and Death Angel show the other night. It was really strange. I mean, I guess, what do you expect? I mean, those guys are like, they've been rocking for 40 years. So I imagine a lot of the audience <laughs> are wheelchair bound these days. We, we all get there in the end. We all go to the rock and roll wheel of fortune in the sky, don't we, at some I point? I feel like in like next 10 or 15 years, me and P-Town are going to go check out Metallica and like Testament, and it's just going to be all these people on walkers just kind of walking around. Anyway, it was a damn good show. 
Um, and we also talk about a, uh, a news story, a very topical story, about a killer nurse in England who allegedly murdered seven babies and attempted to murder 10 others. So that's only five bucks a month. You know, for a few bucks more, you get access to our Sick and Wrong Overkill, which is our bonus mini-sode. Uh, this week, it's part two of Falling in Love with a Serial Killer. Um, I believe, Kate, you're focusing on the story of Sandra London. Sondra London is an icon, and I won't hear a bad word said about that woman. I think she's fucking fantastic. And I actually think a lot of the thing that against her is just pure and outright sexism. Because Norman Mailer and Truman Capote, both of whom fell in love with their killer subjects, never faced any scrutiny like Sondra did. And Sondra has some iconic outfits and hairstyles, and I just think she's fucking fabulous. Yeah, we've been trying to get her on the show for years now. <laughs> Maybe uh, one yeah, day. Maybe one there's day. There's a twist at the end that I talk about. Well, I don't talk about it. You'll read it if you sign up. You can read it on the Patreon. And anyway, at that level two, um, you get access to the Sick Wrong Archives. It's the first 10 years of, uh, of the show on SoundCloud Playlist. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. Sign up today. We do appreciate the support. Here's a quick promo and um, that, w- that we're hoping will convince you to sign up for Patreon. And then... Let's hear about the Moorhouse murders of Western Australia. Hey guys, it's Stephen again. Just calling from heaven through a miracle of cybernetic processes. Just to say, thanks for creating your Patreon page. I love to kick back and smoke a fat one with my boy Carl Sagan. While we listen to the extra phone calls and stories we get all the time. Anyway, talk soon. Love you. Bye. So, Kate Rambo, uh, the murders committed by David and Catherine Burney are uh, referred to as the Moorhouse murders. Um, and this, the press referred to them as the Moorhouse murders because the murders took place at 3 Moorhouse Street in Willoughby, a suburb of Perth, Western Australia. What, there's nothing from Perth apart from the scientists. Yeah, it's like, God, it's so remote. I mean, how many hours is Perth from, like, Sydney? It's, like, across the country. Yeah, when I actually played at the scientists as well, they drew, like, a little map of Australia when we were hanging out of Australia, after we were hanging out after the gig. And he was like, so here's Perth. And here's the rest of Australia where everything else happens. <laughs> We're just in the swamps up here. Is it, isn't your like, oh. Australian accent from Perth? Uh, I've been told that it's your Perth accent, mate. <laughs> um, this home here uh, where the murders were committed still stands to this day. So if we ever go to Perth, cool. we can go to uh, 3 Moorhouse Street and see <gasps> the, I wonder live? who lives there. I don't know. So, Still, again, one of my dreams is to live in a murder house. Yeah, maybe if we moved to Perth. So in 1986, David John Burney and Catherine Margaret Burney, formerly Catherine uh, Harrison, uh, were an Australian couple who murdered four women in this home, uh, ranging in age from 15 to 31, and attempted to murder a fifth. This is back in 1986. Uh, the Burneys macabre and sadistic crimes have often been compared to the acts of a famous UK killing couple, Myra Henley and Ian Brady. Their murders were called the Moores murders. I think they're more like Fred and Rose. I don't think they're like Ian and Myra because Ian, like Ian 
was a nonce. He was a paedophile. They wouldn't do what this couple did. I think but it's much more Fred and Rose. They're also compared to Fred and, Ro- and uh, Rosemary West as well. Yeah. Um, it could mainly because they had childhoods of just incest and neglect. Um, how many people? They, they killed what? What was the body count for Fred and Rosemary? Like 12? Uh, I'm not sure if it was 12, like 7-ish, 8-ish, something like that. And they even diddled their own kids. Yeah, and murdered their own kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one, of the, one of the famous killer couples here. So let's get into a little bit of background, a little history on uh, David and Catherine. So David John Burney was born 16th of February, 1951, the oldest of five children. Star sign? Aquarius, air Aquarius. sign. Aquarius. So Aquarius, air sign. Um, this, will, this will prove important. You'll see why. He grew up in the uh, semi-rural suburb of Wattle Grove, Western Australia, which I imagine is near the Perth area, because, and there's what, fuck all out there? Kangaroos? I imagine it's a, sh- it's a shithole, mate, in it. Some fosters. Swampland. Yeah, <laughs> fosters, castle mine. School friends and parishioners at, at uh, the Wattle Grove Baptist Church uh, recall the family as being very dysfunctional. Um, there are rumors that abounded about the family's promiscuity. Uh, mom, mom and Dad Bernie were, uh, were very sexually promiscuous, uh, rampant alcoholism, and that the entire family engaged in incest. Now, you know, if other Australian families are saying that this about you, then it's got to be fucking bad because we all know what Australians are like. They fucking do it raw, mate. Exactly. Show me an Australian family that doesn't engage in alcoholism and incest, all right? And I'll give you 10 bucks. There's probably only like two of them out there, (laughs) and they're probably immigrated from somewhere else. (laughs) Um, When Bernie's parents asked the local priest to conduct their wedding ceremony, he expressed some real concerns about them as individuals and as a potential couple. He uh, vocally stated that he felt theirs was a union that could never lead to anything good. That's the priest saying that. Um, the father, Father Bernie here, was a man of very small stature, an unattractive appearance, while the mother was known for her coarse manner, use of profanities, and bad behavior, often exchanging sexual favors with taxi drivers as a payment for their fares. You know, Kate Rambo, you this sound sounds a like lot a couple like, I know. You sound a lot like a couple who just celebrated their anniversary a couple days ago. It does. A man short in stature and a coarse woman who is a slatternly. Who could ever that be? Yeah, it was like, who? This, this really is reminiscent of a couple that I know. Um, <laughs> David Burney's school friends uh, also commented the family's home was unkempt and filthy and that the family never had regular meals together, nor did the parents even cook meals for their kids. They were on their own. Just having to fend for yourself. Well, do you know what? I, I may have been a latchkey kid and uh, from a dysfunctional family, but at least the, my mother always made us dinner. It was always food for us. What, what do they call them in uh, Australia? Bogans? Uh, bogans? I don't bogans. know if you are a bogan when you're out in Perth. Bogans are like when you live out in like what? Like Alice Adelaide? Springs. And the, like, no, I don't even, I don't know if you could, be, right? Australians are all going to flood my inbox, but I don't think technically... You can be a bogan if you live in a city. I think you have to be, it's a bit like a country hick or a, like that, or a bit of a chav. You know I what thought I mean? For some reason, I thought all the white trash Australians live in Adelaide. Maybe they do, mate. But maybe, I don't know. But bogans, I do think, refers to a white trash Australian. 
But the, but that's like referring to 99% of them. I fucking love Australians. You know, the the British are the best at taking a joke and giving out banter. And then next in line, it's like the Australians. We're on just the same level because we're birthed from the same disgusting ball sack. You Americans, when you kicked us out, didn't get it anymore. We took the jokes with us. Yeah, we grew way too sensitive. So in the early 60s here, Bernie's parents decided to move the family to another Perth suburb. And that is where David met Catherine Harrison, your mutual friends. He was only like 14 when he met her for the first time. Um, at 15, David left school to become a jockey, an apprentice jockey at a nearby so Ascot racehorse. Yeah, he, he, was, uh, he was such a tiny guy that they're like, you're perfect to be a jockey. I'm kind of scared of jockeys. I'm just going to put that out there because I'm not like scared, necessarily scared of dwarves or midgets. But a jockey is like a, just a short man. Well, jockeys kind of remind me of dark elves. They're creepy. Yes, they're, yeah, they're, they're creepy. short and they're very thin. Although you're like a, they're not as short as what you'd think. I think you can be like five eight and be a jockey. You can't be you five eight. I thought, I thought you'd be like five two. I think I thought you couldn't be over five four. No, I think you can be like a an average sized man, but you've got to have that body type and the pointy ears and the gnawed off teeth. Ronnie James Dio would have made a good jockey. If he wasn't such a beautiful singer. He was a wonderful man. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, so he dropped out of school. He's working at Ascot Racecourse here. And during his time there, he physically harmed the horses and developed a habit of sexual exhibitionism. So he Is became he a bit of a flasher. Getting his knob out for the horses. Well, maybe not just the horses. One night, uh, he allegedly broke into the room of an elderly lady. Um, in the house that he was boarding at, uh, he was naked, was stocking, uh, stocking over his head, and he attempted to commer- commit his first rape. Oh, wow. Didn't exactly I do love that out. classic, if you are going to attempt crime, the cl- you just can't beat the classic stocking over the face because it, it, it doesn't do anything, but it's just, it's a statement. I like it's good it. good look. Uh, by the time he was an adolescent, he was already convicted of several crimes, in and out of uh, juvie for misdemeanors and felonies. As an adult, he became a sex and pornography addict and a paraphiliac, which is a fancy way of saying sexual sadist. <laughs> yeah. Um, no this shit. is interesting. A little fun fact here. His brother would later say that if David did not have sex every night, he would go mad. Like, literally. He would get upset and violent. Uh, once, after a couple nights of going uh, without sex, David asked his younger brother if he could have sex with him. When the teenager declined, he woke up to find his brother having sex with him. Oh, my God. This is like um, Snowtown with all the pedos and all the incest. What's well, going on, Australia? I think it's the Fosters. I don't know what they put in that. <laughs> um, David married his first wife uh, during his early 20s, and the couple had a daughter, Tanya. I doubt has had any connection with her father later in life. Uh, Tanya was 10 years old at the time of his arrest. Uh, Tanya never married, never had any children, and she publicly stated, I don't want to spawn another David Bernie. Yeah, that's kind of like um, a lot of the kids. So a lot of the kids of the high-ranking Nazis, they went they went hot and cold. So some of them were totally extreme. Like my father was innocent and he is a wonderful man. And I believe in the, the Rhineland. And then the other ones were like, yeah, I've been sterilized and I'm going to cut my nuts off. I ain't ever going to be any, any more like Hesses walking around here. No, but, sorry. 
If drunk dad was a serial killer, would you breed on purpose? Yes, and I would totally release books. I would go on all the shows. I would be on Oprah. I would be on uh, Geraldo. I would do it all. Geraldo? Who was he? Geraldo. <laughs> um, so Catherine here, Catherine Margaret Burney. Um, she was born 23rd of May, 1951. What, what would that star sign be? So she's a Gemini, which Gemini. is the most chaotic of all the signs. So do Gemini and Aquariuses typically get together? Is that how that works? You know what? It is It is a kind of good match because both are air signs, although a Gemini is a mutable sign and an Aquarius is a fixed sign. So that's good if one of you is a fixed and a mutable because the other one gives you stability. But it does kind of work because a Gemini is always seeking knowledge, i.e. gossip, and a, an Aquarius is filled with knowledge. But they're also distant from each other. Star It'll be passionate, lovers. steamy. She was only two years old when her mother, Doreen, died giving birth to her brother, who died two days later. Oh, shit. Um, the father was a single father, and he was unable to raise her. Harold. Harold. He was at, at this point, he was like, I can't do it anymore. And he sent Catherine away to live with her maternal grandparents. Um, uh, she moved to South Africa at this point because Harold eventually regained custody of uh, Catherine when she was 10. So he sent her away. And uh, she was with the maternal grandparents for a while, so she's about 10 years old, almost a decade. And Harold ended up regaining custody. And that's when she moved to South Africa, where she lived with Harold. Um, and uh, she Hang was abused on. by her father at that point. Is that when you were in South Africa, too? No, this has been probably a decade before. No, this has been way before. It was probably in the 70s. When, when you were in there in the 70s? No, I moved there in 1980. Oh, yeah, so you were there for the glory years. Well, I think it was all glory years at this point, <laughs> according to uh, Afrikaners. Um, so she was abused by her father at this point, and then she was taken back to Perth again by her maternal grandparents. So when her uh, her grand so her grandparents had her, for, he gave her to the grandparents, and he got her back, diddled her, diddled and her. gave her back to the grandparents. Um, and so uh, it was around this time that the, uh, the grandmother here, this probably would have been right around like mid-60s, uh, she had an epileptic fit, and she was starting having uh, failing health. So then Catherine was shipped off to her aunt and uncle in uh, the inner southeastern Perth suburb of Laughlin. So Catherine never had a very steady childhood. You know, she had a, an abusive father. Mother died in her early age. She was kind of like saddled off between her grandparents and her aunt and uncle. So you could tell that, uh, I mean, she, she definitely didn't have a, a steady upbringing. Um, so when she moved to this Perth suburb in, uh, in Laughlin, guess who lived next door to her? <gasps> Is it Mr. Bernie? A smart and wild teen around her age uh, who she engaged in a sexual relationship with before the age of 14. She was 12. He was, he was about 13 or 14 at the time. That's... That's young, but um, it also definitely did happen. Like, I think it will still happen now with 13 and 14-year-olds, Shag. I mean, I was 50. Well, it sounds I know like, you were about 27. Yeah, I was 30. Um, <laughs> well, David Bernie, I think, sounds a bit precocious in that area. <laughs> like, I think he uh, was a horny kid. Oh, he wants to root. He needs to sow. He is, nothing is stopping him. So the aunt and uncle, as well as Harold, the father, although he doesn't have much say in the matter here, tried their best to keep them apart and even begged Catherine 
to, to, to avoid David due to the fact that he was often getting in trouble with the local police. I mean, as I mentioned, at this point, he already had a juvenile record, petty theft, burglary, and assault. But this but disapproval... But at that age, it's horny. But this disapproval only strengthened their union. It's exactly so, what happened to me. What ended up happening is they were shipped to uh, different uh, uh, foster care at this point to keep, to keep them apart. And uh, then David went to prison for a bit. And then Catherine went to prison as well. So oh, wow. th- they both were, were split apart here. And uh, it was while she was in prison during her adolescent years that she got a chance to break away from David. So break out of the spell of David Burning. A parole officer who'd been working with her um, got her job as a uh, housekeeper at this uh, wealthy family, the McLaughlin family. And uh, when she was there, as she was working there, she ended up marrying Donald McLaughlin, who was a single father on her 21st birthday. She and McLaughlin had seven children, which is crazy. So this young girl, this 21-year-old, 20, 20, who, who got a job you know, while she was on parole from prison, um, ended up uh, bearing seven kids for this man. Their firstborn, firstborn actually, uh, her son, was struck and killed by a car when he was just a child. I've got to give my props to Catherine here because she kept her figure. Oh, she really Didn't did, she, actually. She's like, I, I'm going to say this about both of them right now. They are like Australian hot. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, maybe in LA, they would be a three or a four, but in Australia, they're like an eight or a nine. And because they're so hot and heavy with each other, it kind of like tips it over the edge. I mean, he's he's a, sh- a small guy. He's a diminutive man. I, I would say, like, probably what, five, four? Five, I, that doesn't bother me. I don't mind a he's, short kid. He's very small, but the uh, casting in the, in the film that, uh, that really we're going to be talking about was perfect. If you look at the real pictures, of uh, of uh, Catherine and David versus uh, who the actors that portrayed them was perfect, looked looked identical, and, and both the actors are hot as well. I will. Yeah, they were they were good they're good looking couple. Like I've got nothing wrong with either of them. Good fashion sense as well, for it was the time. So the year's nineteen eighty three. Catherine happened to run into David Burney. Perth's a pretty small. I mean, it's a small town. I mean, chances are. However, Burney had been seeking her out. Um, and they started oh. seeing each other again and embarked on an affair. 1985, she left her husband and the six children, because one died. Um, and she went to live with David, just moved in with him. The couple never legally married, but she did change her surname by deed poll to Bernie. Why didn't they just get married? Oh, well, I suppose she had to get divorced, but it, I was about to say, it's just as cheap to get married. And she ended well, she's up, a Bernie uh, now. Yeah, she became a Bernie. So now it's you get Catherine and David Bernie. So their home life was definitely a bit peculiar. Neighbors said that they, they kept to themselves. Uh, they noticed that the Bernies did smoke cannabis. They took heroin and abused prescription drugs. This sounds like a fun house. I've got no problem with any anything that they're doing. It kind of sounds like my house. <laughs> David wanted sex up to six times a day, and he That's would inject an anesthetic into his penis to extend his performance. It's a horny what guy, the... this guy. Oh, Jesus. That's like going a bit far, isn't it? Yeah, don't you think it would cause some chafing? He must have a pretty big cock, though. Possibly. Like, I mean, you, I mean, you can't just have do. a chipolata penis and be shoving needles into that. He's got to have, like, he's got to be slinging some sausage. Do you know what? I bet he was because he's short. And yeah, usually that's do. sod's law. 
that you'll have a big, huge cock on a tiny body. God, I wish. Um, <laughs> he needed constant <laughs> gratification, and the pair experimented uh, regularly with sex toys. Um, so David Burney did several more stints in prison during this time for theft, um, assault, burglary. And it was around here, it was around this, this era of like the mid-80s that he began having sexual fantasies of rape and murder. And he would often tell Catherine that if she helped him abduct and rape a young woman, she would achieve maximum results. And she would keep him happy. And they would stay together forever. Well, that's very Ian and Myra. Well, I think he obviously was manipulating her, but she was a willing participant. So it wasn't long before they began to uh, act on these fantasies, and they plotted and planned how they would commit their first rape and murder together. It's like so, um, the Ken and Bobby killers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I think, well, I think it was definitely he. He influenced her. He inspired her, but she was a willing participant. And she definitely engaged in a lot of these murders. So over a period of five weeks, this is around 1986, the Bernies abducted five women, aged between 15 and 31. And all the victims, except for one, were raped and murdered. The sole exception was their final victim, who managed to escape the day after her abduction and led police to the Bernie house, ending the crime spree. So let's talk about the victims here. The first one is a woman named Mary Nielsen. She's only 22 years old an aspiring psychology student at the University of Western Australia in Perth. Uh, she was also working part-time in a delicatessen where she met David Burney. Um, right, he worked at the spare parts yard that was right next to the deli. Uh, David offered to sell her cheap tires for her car, and so she gave him his phone number. And I imagine a small town like Perth, definitely in the 80s, you probably trusted people that live locally. Well, yeah, I live in a small town, so I probably trust people more than, say, what you do. I don't trust anyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, so he gave her his phone number and was like, hey, I can hook you up with some tires. So uh, 6th of October, 1986, uh, she went over to David Burney's home. And she was surprised when she arrived there because she found Catherine Burney, his wife, just kind of waiting for her, as if she was expecting her to show up. The wife introduced herself as Catherine, and uh, was very friendly, offered her a drink, and was like, hey, why don't you hang out? Mary didn't really know what to do because she, she, she thought the situation was unusual, and she was unsure whether to stay or to just leave. Probably should have yeah. left, probably. Um, but, I mean, to me, I, I would think that they were like some kind of weird predatory swinger couple. Yeah, you wouldn't think that this is a couple who are going to do what they're about to do to me. You'd just be like, oh, okay, maybe he's running late or something. Don't have that drink, though, Mary. Just just say no. I'd oh, be like, I'm going to go outside and smoke a cigarette. And then run away. Run far yeah. away. Well, that didn't happen. When uh, David came home, joined his wife, Catherine, they overpowered Mary Nielsen. They gagged and chained her to the bed. And Catherine watched as her husband repeatedly raped her. Um, you know, gagging and chaining to the bed seems to be a bit of an M.O. for them. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely happened in the film quite a bit. Um, she was taken to Glen Eagles National Park, which is near the Albany Highway in Bedforddale, which, you know, they showed this in the film as well. Like, there are a lot of just remote areas of Western Australia. Once you get out of the city, I mean, you're in basically just in the... What, in the like forest land. In the fucking yeah, you're in the desert, man. It's just that's uh, the sun baked Australians. A, a body would probably decompose out there in like what three days. 
It would just be picked apart and gone. Well, I imagine there's just these massive national parks, you know, well, and yeah, it's not all, all desert. Is. How many people live in Australia? Like 200? It's the size of Texas, and it was like 200 <laughs> people living there. Australia's bigger than Texas. It, I don't think it is. Yeah, it's massive. It takes about five hours to fly from Sydney to Perth. It's about the size of the U.S. Is it, I don't know. I'm sure there's a thing where it's like all of Europe can fit into Texas. Well, the problem, the thing is with Europe can fit into Australia or something like that. The thing is with Australia, most of the people live on like you know the east side, and then the west side is just this one town, and there's just yeah. nothing. It's just rural. You're, you're very isolated. I would so, love to just go to Australia and go and like drive all around it. I know that's how like Ivan Milat would yeah, get you. Yeah, I was you. about to say <laughs> like, <I'd laughs> just backpack. <laughs> yeah. Well, he drove her to. Uh, they drove her. The Glen Eagles National Park. Keep in mind, they drove her there. And uh, when they got to the park, um, poor Mary was raped again and strangled with a nylon cord. He then stabbed her, thinking it would speed up the decomposition, as he read that in a book somewhere, that if you okay. stab a corpse, they decompose faster. Um, and the two buried her yeah. in a shallow grave. Why a shallow grave? Like, if you're going to go to all the effort... Like a shallow grave, a, a, like a what? A badger, a honey badger is just going to come along. Or in fact, because we're talking a about the dingo. land of weird animals, it could be a snake, it could be a huntsman spider. It just comes up and digs it up and starts eating. Oh, that would be rad but to I see think... like a huntsman spider eating a dead corpse. Why would you spend the time to dig a six-foot grave when you're just in the middle of fucking nowhere? I mean, no one's going to find it. Yeah, that's true. But like, you know? if you're going to do the crime, put the effort in. Just do it. And also the stabbing thing I get, because I think it, he's like trying to release gases so the body won't blow up and maybe pop out of the shallow grave. Yeah, probably. Um, the next victim is named Susanna Candy. Poor 15-year-old Susanna Candy. She was what hitchhiking star name. along uh, the Stirling Highway in Claremont, Australia. An outstanding student at Hollywood Senior High School. Wow. Um, she lived at home with her parents and brothers in uh, Netherlands, Australia. Her father happened to be one of the top ophthalmic surgeons in Western Australia. That, that happened directly in the film. Um, after she went missing, the Bernies forced her to send letters to, their, to her family to assure them that she was all right. But the family still feared for her life. So I think the victim in the film, the victim that was portrayed in the film, was directly inspired by uh, Susanna Candy. Yeah, I get that. Definitely. She was a high. She was a high school student. She had to write yeah. the letters, um, and the the father was a was a very wealthy surgeon. So she so she came from a family that had money. Um, so the Bernies had been cruising around for hours looking for a potential victim when they when they found Candy hitchhiking there on the side of the road. So Catherine, uh, who was referred to as the puppeteer of their, their deadly game here. Um, she would often be on the lookout for potential victims. And as they drove around, if she saw someone that she thought might work, she would turn to uh, David and say, I've got the munchies. They had this like code that they would say, and she'd, be, she'd look at him and she's like, I got the munchies. And if David Bernie liked the look of this vulnerable female uh, victim here, he would, turn to, he would turn to Catherine and he would say, you know, I've got the munchies too. Sickos. Just while we're on the subject, I've just got to clear this up now because I just don't want Australians messaging me. I had to Google it. Australia is about 11 times bigger than Texas. 
Just getting them out the way. <laughs> 11 times. I know it's a, it's a big city or a big country. I mean, it's a big continent. But if you look at it, all the people it's live on a, the sides. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so you have that huge, vast expanse of land in between that's just no man's land. Also, have you seen the film Candy with, with Heath Ledger and Jeffrey Rush? What's it called? Candy. I don't think I ever it's saw about, that. Oh, it's a pretty good Australian film. Uh, Heath Ledger and this other hot chick become heroin addicts, and Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Rush, who I 100% have a girl boner for, uh, is like their crazy dealer. But it's good. I think it's based on a real-life story. Hmm. Candy. But that that's the thing, that like outback is just massive, and that's sort of what separates Perth from like Sydney and Melbourne and all that. So now think about this. If you're a high school kid hitchhiking on the side of the road, 1980s, you're from a small town, and an innocuous-looking couple pull up and say, hey, do you want a ride? And they're in their 30s. They're not even – it's not like they're an older couple. And, and they're also, like, somewhat attractive, if you think about it, especially by Australian standards. And it's not just a man by himself or two men. It's a man and a woman. Wouldn't you feel a little more – I don't know, secure and saying like with them, I, I think I would, I'd be less suspicious of a, of a young couple yeah. that's like, Hey, you want to hang out, smoke some weed? I'll, we'll give you a ride. You just said it. I would only do it if like, especially when I was 15, because we were kind of talking about this on the discord and I can't believe I ever used to do this, but I would maybe write a couple of letters to certain people that I'd met once and then I would go get on a train and go and stay with them in Coventry for a couple of days. And I'd maybe only met them once or I'd met them in a chat room. And I did that tons. Usually because they were like, oh, yeah, I've got some weed. I'm having a party at the weekend. I'd be like, cool, can I stay at yours? Well, so that's all they would have to say to me. They'd be like, do you want some pot? I would probably, and at 15, I would have gone, fuck yeah, I want some pot. Let me in. Well, a few years ago, you met some random podcaster that you met on the internet in uh, Croatia. <laughs> That is also true, so I haven't <laughs> changed my ways at all. <laughs> You've grown very wise with age. Um, anyway, so she was just like, okay, these, this couple seems cool. I'll party with them, get a, get a free ride. Uh, once she entered the car, she was held at knife point, and her hands were bound together. Uh, she was then taken back to the, uh, the Willoughby house over there on a three more, a more house, where she was gagged, chained to the bed, and raped. Uh, in the film, she went back to their home willingly, and they drugged her. Uh, I think the takeaway here is don't get into a car with any random couple. In fact, don't get into a car with strangers. Just avoid that, all right? Um, if you can. Yeah. Try not to hitchhike. After David had finished raping the poor girl, Catherine Burney got into bed with them. She now knew that this turned David on, like, ridiculously. Um, when they both took turns assaulting her, it was almost kind of like a very sadomasochistic menage a trois here. Bernie then tried to strangle the girl with a nylon cord, but she became hysterical and was, and was screaming and, and thrashing about. So the Bernies forced sleeping pills down her throat to calm her down. Once uh, Candy was sleeping, he put the cord around her neck and told Catherine to prove her undying love for him by murdering the girl herself. Catherine complied with the demand, and she killed uh, candy while David watched. I'm sure he was wanking. Um, you know, they're not really keeping these uh, their victims for very long. No. You'd think he like would want them for a couple of days at least. Yeah, but the murders just spanned like a few weeks. 
It wasn't like over years. Like, uh, like yeah. Ian Brady and Myra, they were like like two decades, right? Or, is, or Fred and Rose no. West were definitely two decades. Fred but, and Rose West was a very long yeah. time. They were, But they both murdered individually of each other. The only other couple I can think of where, apart from like the Carla Homolka, is um, Carol Bundy and Doug Clark, because Carol Bundy was totally vicious as well. Uh, but like... It's a, I'm, I'm going to say this is like a lot of effort for not much reward because you're picking a girl up, you're bringing her back. Yeah, you get into rape her a couple of times, but then you just kill her straight away. And Go get another you've one. got her gagged and bound. Wouldn't you want to keep her for a couple of days? Maybe, maybe the, the chance of her escaping, you know, or, or um, actually the chance of her escaping are definitely higher if you keep the victim longer. But I think there's a reason why they only kept them for a night or oh, two okay. nights. And uh, I think most of that fell on Catherine. Catherine she was a jealous want... type. She was a jealous type. So yeah. anyway, so she murdered uh, Susanna Candy here. And when asked about, you know, why she did it, um, she said, I guess I wanted to see how strong I was within my inner self. I didn't feel a thing. It was like it was expected. I was prepared to follow him to the end of the earth, and I would do anything to see that his desires were satisfied. Is this the Australian Charles Manson? And she's Susan Atkins. Kind of, but kind of, but I think she she definitely started saying this was being interviewed later in life because I think she was trying to get a parole to try to lay the blame completely on David. I think she was a bit of a con artist. Yeah, well, like, instead of just owning up to what she did. Like, because Susan Atkins never did either. Susan Atkins was like, I've, I am a child of God now, and I don't like to, f- I can't believe what I did. It's like, no, just say, like, yeah, it was fucked up what I did. Catherine said, I'm a female, and females hurt and destroy males. That they do, Catherine. They do. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that's the truth. Uh, so they buried Candy near the grave of Mary over in that uh, state forest. Next victim, Nolene Patterson. Nolene, Nolene. Some great names coming from these Aussie birds here. So Nolene was killed uh, a few weeks later, November 1st, 1986. Um, they'd been driving around. They saw 31-year-old Nolene Patterson standing beside her car on the Canning Highway. Uh, she had run out of gas on her way home from uh, her job as a bar manager at the Nedlands Golf Club. Um... They, they offered her a ride. Once again, an innocuous couple, young, you know, seemingly uh, harmless. Uh, she got in the car. They pulled out a knife, held it to her throat, tied her up, told her not to move. She was then taken back to Three Moor House Street, where David repeatedly raped her after she was gagged and chained to the bed. Uh, the Bernies originally decided to murder her that same night. Because that's the thing. Most of these, these are kind of like ephemeral acts. I think it's like, I'm horny. Let's go find a girl and murder her so I can get off. It's okay, not like yeah. a, it's premeditated that they want like a sex slave for the next two weeks. It's yeah. spur of the moment to me is kind of what these crimes seem to be. Um, so they decided let's just murder her that same night. But David kept her prisoner in the house for three days because he kind of developed somewhat of an emotional attachment to Patterson. Oh, Catherine is not going to be happy about this. She wasn't. Catherine was very jealous. And she made an ultimatum. She said, you either kill her now or I'll kill myself. And so do you remember that scene in the movie 
Yeah. Where the wife held a knife to her throat and threatened yeah, to kill yeah. herself in the kitchen. I mean, that was, that's why I love that actress that, that, that played Catherine in the film. She was so great at showing how unhinged she'd become with jealousy. Yeah, she's a really good actress. I'd say she's definitely like they're all really good actors in that film, but she's she should have gotten an award of some type. She's very good. Well, there was that one scene where he was raping her and he closed the door to the bedroom. Oh, and, she's and she was mental. Yeah, she was mental, crying and just listening at the door. Like freaking yeah. out about it. Um then no, the actress was great. He so David thought about it for a second immediately forced an overdose of sleeping pills down Patterson's throat and strangled her while she slept. They took her body to the forest and buried it slightly away from the others. Uh, Catherine reportedly got great pleasure from throwing sand and dirt on Patterson's face. I bet she did. I, I must also say, like, even though they're abducting uh, girls and, like, they're obviously having the most atrocious ends to their lives, they're not actually being murdered in the worst way possible. Because, you know, they've been forced sleeping pills and then just never waking up again. You know, that's better than, like, Bundy biting your tit off. I mean, he's not strangling them while they're conscious. Yeah, he's so... not doing a gacy in them wearing clown makeup and, like, you know, <laughs> sodomizing them to death. Uh, so their way is quite efficient. I'm just going to put it like that. Well, I mean, I think it's like you're, you're passed out and they just kill you while you're unconscious. I actually think that's probably a better way to go. Um, Unfortunately, that didn't exactly happen for the next victim, Denise Brown. Um, Only a few days later, the 5th of November, uh, the the Bernies abducted 21-year-old Denise Brown, who was waiting for a bus on Sterling Highway. Uh, She accepted a ride from them, and at knife point, was then taken to their house over in Awilagee, chained to the bed and raped, of course, as as they do. Um, The following afternoon, she was taken to the Wanneroo Pine Plantation, in a secluded area of the forest. It was there that David raped Brown in the car while the couple waited for darkness. So could you imagine being raped by this jockey in the back seat and then having to spend time with these two lunatics waiting for it to, you know, waiting for it to get dark? Like Yeah. That that probably was as excruciating as the rape. Like, would you be like, hey, could you just kill me, please? Come on. Australian leprechaun, just, just let's just cut to the chase here, okay? You know they had like a really shit 1980s Australian fucking car as well. Like, I want to say a Honda Accord, and like just being raped in the back of a Volkswagen, I would, I just want would want to be dead. Yeah, like you, you, you just wouldn't have to do you, that. That would just almost just be like, you know, uh, insult to injury. So they dragged Brown from the car, and then David Bernie raped her again while Catherine watched, and then he stabbed Brown in the neck. Uh, He pretty much thought she was dead at this point, dug a shallow grave, laid her body in it, but then all of a sudden, Brown sat up in the grave. Oh, wow. David Bernie then grabbed an axe, and he bludgeoned her twice in the head. Okay, I'm going to take back what I was saying about at least them murdering them in a a polite way, because this is absolutely brutal. Yeah, this one got raped, stabbed in the neck, and then bludgeoned in the head with an axe. Uh, Raped in a Volkswagen? Yeah, then they uh, they buried her body in the grave. You know, they should have included this death in the film. Would have been much more brutal. Well, I mean, the, I, th- I thought the film did it very well. They didn't focus on all the deaths. They focused just pretty much on one. However, 
you know, they showed him going out by himself in the park to dispose of the uh, the corpses. And it was never, they didn't show him, I, I think at one point they showed him kind of digging a grave, but they never actually showed him burying, burying any of the victims. They also never showed him bludgeoning any in the head with an axe. No, they did not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in a curtsy. Well, this this murder here, the bludgeoning, definitely uh, bothered Catherine. Um he was. She was looking at David while he was splattered with blood, breathing heavily, you know, from bludgeoning someone to death. This is when Catherine started having second thoughts. She started having misgivings about carrying out further killings. So there was one more. Um, well, one more attempted. Kate Moore. 17-year-old Kate Moore was abducted at knife point after accepting a ride from the Bernies. So once again... Stranger danger here, people, especially young women. Don't get into a ride with a uh, creepy swinger-looking couple. Just don't, don't accept a ride from them. Of course it would be the Kate that survives, though, because we're badasses. When interviewed later about the crime, Kate recalled hearing Catherine Burney say, I've got the munchies. Have you got the munchies? Which is the secret sign that they use. So she was, could you imagine being in the backseat being like, that's weird. You know, I guess you wouldn't think anything of it. I wouldn't, because I'd be like, I've got the munchies too. Where are we, are we going to the, what, are, are we going to the takeaway? Are we going to get one of those HSPs? I really want one of those HSPs. Can we go get one? Thank you, please. When the movie, the guy was like a weed dealer. Like uh, the, the guy that, that, that was based on David. But I, I imagine they probably drove around with weed because that's usually how you entice young kids into your car. And it's the 80s. And it's the 80s. So anyway, knife point, they uh, bind her, take her back to the home over at Three Moore House. And when they're at home, they forced her to dance to a Dire Straits song, Romeo and Juliet. You know that one? I love that song. Oh, yeah, it's such that's a, cool a great song. song. Yeah, we're going to end the show with it. It's such a great song. But could you imagine dancing to that song after you've been bound and gagged while this murderous couple is just making out, feeling each other up, watching you? I mean, they're unrepentant. I'm surprised these two aren't as well known as any of the other killer couples that I have mentioned throughout all of this. Because you, you never hear people mention them. The yeah, you know, I didn't really, I had never really heard of them either until recently. But there brutal. she was, forced to dance in her knickers to uh, the Dire Straits song, Romeo and Juliet. Um, she remembered David Burney was wearing a mustard-colored dressing gown. Um, I'm kind of getting a little horny. <laughs> And they tied her up or bound her to the bed frame with shiny cold chains. Then, okay. when they went to uh, bed and uh, had sex, she was handcuffed to David the entire time in the couple's bed. That's a bit erotic. Like, uh, yeah. I wish that had been in the movie. Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't because in the movie, she was pretty much you know, chained to the bed the entire time. Yeah, and just being raped by him as well. There was none of this kind of couple's like far play going on. Nah, and there's no dire straight song. There should have been. Although um, she does give him a blowy. Oh yeah. While the girl that one, that is forced one, to watch. While she's screaming. Yes. <laughs> um Kate said in a twenty seventeen interview, I had a two hundred percent chance of dying and a five percent chance of getting away. But you gotta you gotta admire how wily she was and persistent. The girl in the movie as well as uh, Kate Moore here. Mm-hmm. So Kate um, was the final abductee and the only one to actually survive. So um, 
during the during the, the period that she was abducted, David held a knife to her throat at one point and forced her to ring her mother. Oh and she God. called her mother, which is just, I mean, this is already very disturbing. But she called her mother and assured her that she, that, uh, she had drank too much and was staying at a friend's house, hoping her mother would catch on because she knew that Kate didn't really drink. So it's pretty weird to have your daughter calling up and saying, oh, I'm staying at a friend's house because I got wasted last night. My mom just would have been like, okay, see you when you get home. Your mom would have been, again? Okay. (laughs) Why are you bothering to tell me? So the next day, David went to work. And Catherine went to the door to go carry out a drug deal, but she forgot to chain Kate to the bed. And so Kate ran over to uh, to a window in the bathroom, closed window, broke its lock, and then climbed out. But unfortunately, she hit her head on the concrete. Um, and you might recall in the movie, there's a great okay. scene where the girl almost escaped through the window, but, but there was a dog that prevented her from jumping out. And so she was kind of trapped in the house trying to figure out how to escape. Yeah, it's a very good dog as well. He's a good boy. Oh, there's a horrible scene with that good boy. But there's a bit of foreshadowing there <laughs> with that, that first attempted escape. So she jumped out, hit her on the concrete, but she was able she, and she was only wearing like uh, her uh, her knickers at the at, I think she was just wearing like a bra on her panties and barefoot. Yeah, yeah, never use never use the I hate the word knickers. Never use that. Just say panties. Much black sexier. she was wearing black leggings, uh, a black singlet, and here it says knickers, which is why I said that, but panties. Um so she was knocking on neighbors' doors screaming. Uh, she managed to uh, run to a vacuum cleaner shop. This is November 10th, 1986, and she was hysterical. Uh, she informed the shop owner that she had just been raped, and so he immediately called the police. Um, and she said, you know, I, I was raped and abducted by, by, uh, by this couple who had, who had taken me back to their house. So when she was at the police station, the, the good old Aussie, you know, uh, uh, men in blue here were skeptical of, the, of her story. Like, they doubted that this, this young girl here, this teenager... Who was wearing like panties and a bra? You know, I'm sure she had ligature marks. And like, they doubted that she was actually raped. But you know was... what? I was gonna say, you know what that reminds me of? Remember when the chick escaped from Anthony Soul's house, the Cleveland uh, Ripper? Oh yeah. Yeah, and that's on the CCTV. You see her just crawl out the bedroom window. She's completely naked, and then she runs to the neighbor's house. But the police didn't really believe her either. They were like, yeah, I guess we'll send one patrol unit to go check it out. It's like, no, I think you should send a fleet of them. <laughs> I guess it's the maybe it's the area of town where it happened, you know? Um, so there was a constable, a young 22-year-old girl who, who had just started, uh, Laura Hancock, and she believed her from the outset, mainly due to the amount of detail that the young girl provided, including the address and telephone number of the couple. So Holy shit, she'd memorized all of that. I'd be fucked. I can't barely remember a phone number. Well, Laura Hancock was only 22. She'd never taken a victim statement before. But she quickly established that the teenage sto- teenage story here was too clear and graphic and detailed to be immediately dismissed like the other, you know, more veteran cops who were just like, mm-hmm. ah, she's just hysterical. Take her home. Drink too much. Is that your Australian accent? I can't do one. <laughs> <laughs> so the Bernies had given themselves aliases. So Kate Moore didn't know their actual name, but she had read 
David's name on a medicine bottle in the bathroom and remembered it. Oh, she's amazing. Moy- Moyer stated that they had watched the film Rocky on VHS. <gasps> and I she love des- that movie. <laughs> she described a drawing that she had concealed in the house as proof of her presence there. You, this girl's crafty. If you think about it, I was, I was like, okay, first of all, she had the wherewithal to take a drawing and hide it somewhere in the house because she knew that these cops weren't going to believe her, and this is a piece of evidence. Second, she, re- she remembered a name off of a medicine bottle in this harrowing condition that she was in. And third, she watched Rocky. But I'm wondering which Rocky. It's got to be the first one. Yeah, but it's nineteen. One. It's nineteen eighty-six. So Rocky two and Rocky three and Rocky four had come out at this point. It, all the Rockies are so inspirational, and they're all in. Apart from Rocky five, are all in my like top ten films. But wouldn't that's the, not exactly the type of film I would show somebody who I'm gonna murder because it is an inspirational film about how the underdog overcomes obstacles that have stood in his or her way. You'd want to show them something kind of bleak, like angst, and say. Guess what's going to happen to you? Yeah. <laughs> you you just lose all hope here, okay? Um, so anyway, the police, but mainly based on the prompting of uh, of uh, the constable, the young constable, uh, they ended up uh, going to the home that the girl pointed out, and they uh, they they searched it, and they found the drawing in the home as well as a VHS copy of Rocky in the VCR. I'd love it if when the police were like rocking up to the uh, to the house, you could just hear da 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 brilliant. David and Catherine were arrested, and during their interviews, they gave conflicting statements. Uh, Catherine denied ever meeting Kate Moore, while David yeah. insisted that Moore came to their house voluntarily to smoke marijuana and engage in consensual sex with them. And to watch Rocky. Apparently in Australia, you can have sex with a 17-year-old. Yeah, 17 is over age. 16, age of consent, mate. I imagine Australia is the same as Britain, considering we are sister countries. Well, the interviews uh, that they're having with the Bernies here stretched into like the early evening. And at one point, a detective said to David Bernie, it's getting dark. Why don't you just show me where the bodies are so we can dig them up? And to his surprise, David Bernie's like, okay, there's four of them. So I don't that know. easy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why all of a sudden he just admitted guilt. You know, it's just it's kind of strange. Maybe 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 he had remorse. I think it was he probably just realized they're going to get me sooner or later. I might as well just help out the good old boys. He probably knew them. Yeah, I mean, it's a small town. So, told about David's confession here, Catherine then broke her silence and uh she um the detectives took both of them out. Uh, to the na- to the national park here, and uh, discovered the bodies. Um, at this point, it was kind of late at night, and uh, they found a shallow grave. The first one, and there were the naked remains of Miss Brown, who had been there for about a week at this point. Uh, before sunrise, the team then traveled across the city to Glen Eagle Forest. So there are two forests that they mostly use. Uh, one in I don't even know how to say this Ganangara. The other one was uh, Ganangara. Um, which is north of Perth, and then this other one, uh, which is about 80 kilometers south, Glen Eagle. Uh, They went there to go look for a few more graves. After some initial problems, finding the different graves. I imagine it must be kind of tough, unless you have, like, landmarks that you, you know, like a red stone or something. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know. It's in the middle of, you know, a forest. 
These two aren't the sentimental type either. They're not going back to the grave to remember the good times of the murders. Like the murder is the peak of the passion for them. Well, eventually, um, they ended up, David pointed them to the bodies of uh, Mary Nielsen and Susanna Candy. And then uh, Catherine Burney wanted to show them the next grave. Good old Nolene. Um, They went back to the highway, and then they followed her uh, directions over to the shallow grave of Nolene Patterson. And when Catherine walked over and saw it, she spat on it. Fucking what a bitch. Still jealous of a dead woman. That's how psycho this lady was. Um, There's also speculation that the Bernies are responsible for the disappearance of another um, um, woman named Cheryl Renwick in May 1986 and Barbara Western in June 1986. But the MO didn't really line up. So they never actually mm-hmm. had, uh, w- was proven that they murdered them. Um, so when sent to trial, David just pled guilty to four counts of murder and one count each of abduction and rape. He didn't even try to fight it. And when asked why he pled guilty, he gestured toward the victim's family and said, it's the least I could do. What? What are you doing, mate? Why is he I mean, betra- Oh, you see, I'm a solid bloke, me. Yeah. yeah. Like, you can trust me, what I do. Fuck it. I don't want to put any more hardship on them well fucking don't rape and kill their children in the first place david what a cunt he was sentenced to four terms life imprisonment after being found sane enough to stand trial Catherine was also sentenced to four terms of life imprisonment um and uh, they're both required to serve 20 years before being eligible for parole and if you think about that they weren't even that old that's like in their 50s they'll die in jail well, There's no way they'll ever get released. David certainly did. Um, no. So when the trial was over and they're being dragged out to uh, go, go taken to be taken to the pokey, uh, Catherine Burney was dragged screaming and kicking out of the courthouse and spitting into a van that would take her to Bandia Prison. Um, David was a little bit more suave. He walked out and was smiling and blowing a kiss to the public. Oh my goodness! What is this couple <laughs> like? It's kind of iconic. <laughs> So while in prison, uh, David initially was held at a uh, maximum security prison called Fremantle, but he was soon moved to solitary confinement uh, to keep him from coming to harm from, from other prisoners. So he was definitely a target. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm sure word got Famous. around. And a rapist and a child killer. So yeah. you can't really get much worse. Um, while incarcerated, the Bernies exchanged more than 2,600 letters between them. Isn't that kind of crazy? I didn't think you were allowed to do that. I th- well, obviously, the letters will be monitored by the prison system. But, yeah, you think the judge would have said, and you two can never be in contact with each other ever again and just cut them off cold turkey. Were Ian and Myra allowed to contact each other or Rose and Fred? Uh, yeah, Ian and Myra did. And um, Fred pretty much died straight very soon after he was arrested. So there wasn't a chance. And plus, Fred was not a literate man. Like, I imagine his letters would have been like, hey, yo, Rose... And just full of like lots of that. I loved your roast dinners and your pussy. Well, David Burney only lasted to about uh, 2005. Uh, He was found dead in his cell at Cosarina Prison, October 7th, 2005, at the age of 54. Um, Turns out he hung himself from an air vent using a length of cord. Oh, wow. So there are several factors that led to his suicide. Um, Apparently, they cut off his prescription for antidepressants. 
Oh, were you sad, David? He was did depressed. you have depression in jail over what you did? <laughs> they confiscated his computer. Oh, did they take away your computer, David? You couldn't get on MySpace. <laughs> and he was suspected of sexually assaulting another prisoner. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> Catherine was not allowed to attend the funeral. But I imagine it must have upset her at that point. Um, Catherine ended up going to Bandy Up Women's Prison. Um, she worked as a prison librarian while she was there, and she appeared in a prison production of Nonsense, which I, I've never seen that, but uh, sounds good. Um, she's applied for parole several times over the years, uh, always rejected. Um, the Attorney General of Western Australia at the time, Jim McGinty, said, her release will never happen while I'm in office. I don't think it will ever happen. I think there would be uproar, wouldn't there? Well, they, they, uh, her case came up again in 2010, and I uh, once again denied. And the uh, attorney general at that point determined she'd stay in jail. She'd, she'd be in jail for life. Um, uh, she, in 2016, it turned out the Bernie's final victim here, good old Kate, uh, she started a campaign to end Western Australian laws that automatically puts convicts up for parole every three years, regardless of whether they apply for it or not. Yeah. So uh, Moore stated that Bernie actually never even applied for parole. She just it's was just, automatically oh, it's an put automatic it. thing over there. Yeah. In 2017, Catherine's youngest son, Peter, called for his mother's execution. Uh, he stated that his association uh, with his mother has resulted in him being assaulted. Because of that. And uh, he supports Kate Moore's campaign to uh, make her, you know, prisoners not automatically be eligible for parole. Yeah, that must suck to be the uh, the offspring of somebody as evil and disgusting as that. But you've just got to get over it. Your parents are your parents and their lives stop at some point, don't they? You don't have to be like, I wish the bitch was dead. She's behind jar. She's in jail behind bars suffering forever. That's like worse that's worse than being dead because it's easy when you're dead would you just start a podcast and go interview her oh yeah you could start a podcast about how you're her son and like everything about it maybe there is an australia maybe he's like um, a talking head on telly that's what i would do anyway she's currently in prison doubt she'll ever be released um but the film is great not going to mention yes. it. If you, can, if you can guess the name of this movie that was inspired by uh, Catherine and David's crimes, um, DM us on Instagram. Name the movie and you will win a fabulous Sick and Wrong prize. But uh, you know, a lot of people criticize the film for being uh, torture porn, which I disagree with. I wouldn't with. say it's any more torture porn than like, The Loved Ones, which is a great uh, Australian horror movie. Yeah, but the, I'd the... say it's a, this is a much more accurate representation of what these two evil fuckers did. It's not torch porn because, like, yeah, during angst, I thought it was horny and erotic, right? I didn't feel that this film was horny and erotic. And if anything, it made me, like, I was like, I feel very sorry for all these girls who had to, like, go through this because of the hands of these two fucks. Wait, it's not so horny. When, when the, during the blowjob scene, you weren't turned on at all? No, I, d I didn't get horny for this film. Um, I imagine that you got incredibly hard um, when she shits herself. It's <laughs> about to fuck her. <laughs> I thought of you that whole scene. I was like, oh, Dee will love this scene. That's so a huge clue, different. by the way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, I didn't find the, the film particularly erotic. Uh, it was very disturbing at times. Um, but I do think it, it was an impressive piece of storytelling, especially 
the way it depicted the victims, many attempts to escape and how persistent she was in such a horrible situation. And, and the slow disintegration of the couple's bond. Oh, yeah, that's amazing that. to watch. Just there's some great acting from everyone involved. There's only like three actors, really, and they're all fucking fantastic. Yeah, it was a really good movie. So the filmmakers have strongly resisted any kind of suggestion or connection to the true crime story of Catherine oh, David Burney. Yeah, the writer and director has even said that he drew on accounts of nine different murderous couples, not just, not just the Burneys here, when he developed the script, the Hindleys being one of them. And uh, he mainly wanted to explore the psychological dependencies that lead female killers to assist their partners in murder. Yeah, but I mean, the difference is, is that I can see what you're saying, but Catherine was definitely just as evil as David, which is like, is kind of rare. But in all these cases, it's like, if you asked me to murder for you, I would tell you to fuck off. I don't need to be led down the garden path to murder. You've got to have it in you already to go down that path. And usually when it's a killer couple, the female is just as they're out there and as mental as the male. Reports from the early films, uh, uh, early in the film's production, though, suggest that the Burneys were very much on the forefront of the filmmakers' minds. They look just like them. Yeah, but also, yeah, exactly. And the murders were so similar. And so uh, an Australian uh, film curator and writer, Alexandra Heller Nicholas, who um, uh, she pointed out that it's incomprehensible to say that this wasn't based on the true crime of the Bernie. She's like, the deaths are too close, way too similar. And she said she even looked up the house that the Bernie's murders took place in on one of the real estate websites. And the layout of the house in the film is identical. I would just admit at that point, but maybe he's worried about, I don't know if Australia has like the kind of son of Sam laws that uh, America has. We have them to a certain degree as well. So maybe the filmmaker was worried that he would have to say, yeah, it's based on them. Now I have to give 10% to the families and I don't want to do that because it was an indie film. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I think maybe they didn't want to upset the, uh, the survivor because there was a survivor, Kate Moore, who uh, now she's a mother of three and she was aware of the film. It only came out a few years ago. And she criticized the filmmakers drawing on her story, saying that the director could have used his own imagination here. She oh, said, right. well, she said, I feel taken advantage of and confused. And it's disappointing because I just want the Bernies to be forgotten forever. Oh, yeah. But I mean, come on, love. That's never going to be ha that's never going to happen now. They're in like the true crime freak show and they'll always be remembered. If anything, I would have said I would have liked to have been a consultant on the movie. I would have liked to have gotten my 10 percent and taken part in it and been like, no, this is how my story went a bit more. Do you know what I mean? So I could have my input in it rather than just say, oh, we should forget about them and the crimes they've done, because that's impossible now. It, they'll never she's, be forgotten. Well, I think she's trying to shut that, that part of her life away. But, but thanks to podcasts, much like ours, <laughs> we'll keep the stories of the Bernies alive forever. And ever and ever. <laughs> anyway, people, if you know the name of this movie, which I'm sure many of, many of our listeners do, uh, DM us on Instagram. Uh, people, this is episode 865 here at Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls to get to, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a brief message from Adam and Eve. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. This is Trucker Paul. I got to tell you about this wonderful porno place where you can buy jack-off machines, dildos, inflatable wives, 
I've bought them all. When I go home, I like to diddle my wife with a, a little dildo. When I'm on the road, I got my second wife, my blow-up doll, and my jack-off sleeve. Go to adamandeve.com. Type in the word diddle. D-I-D-D-L-E. And you'll get 50% off all your masturbation machines. Adios, lick my balls. I put a spell on you. So we got a few phone calls to get to here. 323-522-4032. Um, people, you can call us. We want you to call us. We want to hear from you. I want to know what's, what's, what's going on for Halloween. Um, what, are you, what are you wearing? Are you, are you going to uh, a fancy dress party? Yeah, I want to hear spooky stories. Call in some spooky tales. 323-522-4032. Or email us. Sickerunpodcast at uh, gmail.com. Um, the first call we have here is a thought experiment from none other than Buffalo Bill. Yeah, you know, that's a good Halloween costume. <laughs> Classic. Howdy, doody, DNK, you lovely motherfuckers. This is Buffalo Bill. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. Um, I just want to say a comment before I get into my question. Phenomenal podcast. Top tier. Uh, Netflix did you wrong. All Damn that right. bullshit. Fuck them. Second round podcast is one of the greatest pieces of media to grace the earth. But the question, uh, you know what? I have a thought experiment. D, run the fucking tape. All right. I think I, I don't have the, I, I couldn't find the actual promo, but this is what it was based off of. Did you ever see this show? Airwolf. Oh, I'm not old enough for Airwolf. Jesus. Sick and wrong thought experiment. <laughs> yeah, so this was is something a like that. thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, we used to get a lot of these back in the day. It's been a while since we've had one. Our, our the clip, the 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 theme song. Okay. I was thinking about this. Would you rather have maggots? Eat the tip of your genitalia. I'm talking D for cock, uh, Clint for Kate, or have maggots eat your eyes. This was born out of the Gestapo episode. And um, I'm just thinking, you know, would I rather lose the tip of my cock or the sensory input of vision? I can still fuck without the tip of my cock, but seeing is quite nice makes my life a whole lot easier anyway would love to let you would love for y'all to uh weigh in anyway um uh, chow chow keep it sick keep it wrong Mm. hmm all right well how about you go first kate yeah it's open and shut for me i would lose my clit yeah before your eyes before my eyes yeah Uh, you know i can still be fucked and i want to be able to see so yeah goodbye clit Rest in peace. Well, I've already lost the tip of my dick. And uh, I managed to survive. <laughs> I think you know what he means. He means your japs eye, your bell end coming off. Little Even though I away at it. honestly can't afford to lose much more. Um, but you know what, though? You could still fuck. 
if you don't have your, I mean, it would suck not to have the head of your dick. That's the most sensitive region. But you could still get it hard and still fuck. And you can milk your prostate. I'm not scared of maggots. I think there's something like quite adorable about them. It's just the squirminess of them. They're just like squirmy little buggers. Yeah, but could you imagine waking up and finding maggots like crawling out of your vagina? Would you flip the fuck out? Yeah, obviously I would flip the fuck out. But I, yeah, I'm not really terrified of maggots. Sometimes, sometimes when I'm because I eat a lot of rice, I eat a lot of brown rice because my life is that exciting. Sometimes I imagine it's maggots. I could see Kate finding waking up one morning, finding maggots in her vagina, and being like, "Oh, now that's peculiar. Let me go into Google and search maggots in vagina, and then diagnose yourself." Are you having yourself. a go at me because of my nose fishes? <laughs> Because I've diagnosed myself twice. Kate this year. loves to diagnose herself. You're you you like the Google doctor. I do love Doctor Google, and you know what? That's all doctors are. They've read books and studied them. And like when I like went to the doctor, and I was like, I have tendonitis. He was like, Yes, you have tendonitis within five minutes. I was like, Thank you. You've just confirmed what Doctor Google told me. Do you know how much you do you know how much hatred doctors must have must have for WebMD and sites like that? Because it's like. Empowered people to think that they're experts on medicine. It's not like I, I just read one article. Like, you know, I'll deep dive into at least five articles to be like, right, I have all those symptoms. So that must be that. And then you go to the doctor and say, Dr. Google told me this. And they usually just go, yeah, it's true. I Doctors are just practicing deep and never know it all. I have vagit magatis. Is it bad? <laughs> I'd be like, aren't they just delightful? I'm going to knit them little hats and sweaters. My little maggot friends. Yeah, I don't think it's... I mean, if you just lose your clit, I mean, that would kind of suck. But you could still have totally. sex, you know? I mean, they could, uh, like, cauterize the wound, and you could still have sex. And if I lost the tip of my dick, that would suck. But yeah, I still have my prostate. And I could still come. You could still come. It just would probably yeah, take longer. I'm just imagining, like... Obviously... <sighs> Pussies are disgusting to look at anyways, but if you got rid of the clit, it's never going to be as obvious as just like the mushroom tip being gone. So like it would be, I'm just thinking like how weird it would look, like just a dick without a tip. I think you could probably get something, like surgeons could probably build something out of it. I mean, they could do that to uh, a person who's transitioning. Yeah, but they usually build, yeah, they would probably have to... Like, would, take fat from your ass. That's what I'm thinking. They'd probably take a chunk of skin from my ass and put it there make, and, like, mold a head to it. it but you, it wouldn't feel the same. The other question is, how painful do you think it would be? I imagine your eyes would be worse. I mean, the eyes would be worse. But, yeah. Would it be painful? Would you go past the point? I've never had leeches or anything on me. Oh, God. I don't know. Well, Buffalo Bill, what inspired you to think about that? And um, I think I Buffalo Bill. Yeah, um, but yeah, I would I would definitely go a little more the, the the tip of my dick. You know, I think it's a little more cut off. I wouldn't have much left. Um, <laughs> all right, next call here. Tom Jones rings Tommy in about Jones. the Queen. Yeah, he calls from the valley. Beautiful. Hello, D. Hello, Kate. It's Tom Jones calling again. How are you guys? I hope you're well. Uh, so the Queen's fucking dead. Fucking hell. Who would have thought it, huh? Uh, anyway, um, so, you know, means the nation is in a period of mourning. It got me recollecting. 
And I thought back to the time when I almost met the Queen. Uh, it was back in about 2000, oh, I don't know, 2004, 2005, just left. Uh, How old was the Queen back then, Mike? 180? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, comprehensive school, high school for you fucking American cunts. And uh, I went straight from uh, comp to doing a music course in college. And, um, yeah, so my class were asked to create an ensemble and play um, the music that we uh, created. At the bottom... Sex bomb, sex bomb. (laughs) (laughs) God, that fucking song. For the Queen. Yeah. Of of the Opera House in Cardiff called the Millennium Centre for the premiere of, I think it was the Flying Dutchman. And it was a big deal because the Queen was going to be in attendance. So we were back and forth most of, most of that week, rehearsing and setting shit up and whatnot. And the day of the um, premiere then, because um, uh, the Queen was coming in the, uh, late in the day in the evening, um, we were down here setting shit up. The, 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 we took our, our, our lunch break and we went to the cafe in the Millennium Centre. So we were all in the cafe, you know, just you know, chilling out. And then armed security came in. And it was quite weird to see armed police in Britain, really. And they came in and they said, right, everyone needs to clear the building. But they need to sweep it, ready for Her Majesty to come. So Did they, they have armed police in England, right? Uh, no, he's right. It's not something you see often. Like if there's a riot or something, there'll be armed police. But they don't walk. Police don't walk around with guns here, do? You? What do the bobbies use? Just like little uh, batons or something? They have really um, unafor- <laughs> unauthoritarian high vis jackets. They don't hold weapons. They, they don't have, have little any radios. Weapons. They have a high vis jacket on. Wow. All right. We're all in a hurry. Picked all our shit up. Left. We were all down a uh, different part of the building. And then the, 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 all of a sudden, then the, everything just went fucking wild. All these um, police and fucking security and whatnot evacuated the building for fear of a bomb scare. <laughs> so we were ushered out of the building. And we were going, I thought, well, this is fucking weird. Like, you know, they were going through all this stuff. And my teacher, my, my college teacher, I realised that he'd left his laptop in the cafe underneath the uh, table, and I realised I'd left my bag with all my uh, um, pedals and my um, fucking yeah, jack leads and my wires under the table next to the bag. So what had happened? The police had swept the building, thought the fucking laptop and my bag, uh, the laptop and my uh, bag of um, uh, cables and jack leads were a fucking bomb. <laughs> We created a bomb scare. They yeah. fucking discovered <laughs> that there wasn't a bomb. Give us an absolute fucking ball again. Let us back into the building. We had a tail between our fucking legs. And then about an hour later then, Her Majesty drove past in the carriage. So that's the story <laughs> where I inadvertently caused a bomb scare in the presence of Her Majesty. So, uh, yeah, rest in peace, Lizzie girl. I didn't really give a fuck for the monarchy, but... Uh, uh, yeah, yo, some people do. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, see this random laptop with a bag next, you know, a bag next to it filled with cables. 
three yeah. years after 9-11 and everyone's already like the you know they have right you know, high get, right no one get, get 9-11 out your head because no one gives a shit about 9-11 yeah but it was year, a, a right? terrorist event you know that happened and everyone's yeah, on like high alert five years before it no it's this was 2005 he, he said 2005 so it happened like four years before so everyone's on high alert at this time there's been bombing no one's on high fucking alert because of 9-11 in you this country even... day how many times do i have to tell you we don't care and, but there were terrorist events that happened after shortly after 9-11 that you did care about and guaranteed if you're flying to the fucking states you had to fucking be concerned about it It was a pain in the ass yeah but this isn't involving planes or bombs like after this the terrorists like all started just coming into places and shooting you or they would run you over in a white high alert and i think if you saw a random laptop next to a bag full of cables anywhere like in the fucking in the tube or anywhere you're gonna freak the fuck out well, yeah, in the tube because there was seven seven. Totally. <laughs> Two years later. Yeah, but, that's what I'm saying. You're I mean, on this high is alert. a thing only the Welshies could do. Be like, what's that? It's a fucking bomb, <laughs> and everyone goes out. I think. I also, my eagle hearing could hear the tippy tapping of a very good boy. There was a very good boy in the background of that call. I think it would have been funny if they just would have smashed the laptop to pieces. <laughs> like, here you go. What would have been better if they'd have opened <laughs> with, with up their, the laptop? With their billy there, clubs. And there was naked pictures of Tom Jones on it. And he'd been noncing him and Tom Jones never knew about it. That would have been That would have been great, too. Better. So uh, you almost got to meet the queen. Oh, well, you lost your chance. But you guys still can't. Is she going to be, where, where's she buried? They already bury her? Uh, I think it should be buried at Balmoral or somewhere. I don't really know. I'm not keeping up with it, am I? Are you allowed to go uh, pay your respects to the, uh, at the cemetery, or are they hidden away from everybody, from the public? I think it's probably going to be like Princess Diana, where maybe she's buried on an island, so you can stand across and look at it, but you can't go up and like spit on it or touch it or anything. Hmm. Oh, well. Maybe, maybe exactly. you'll get your chance one day. I'm not doing um, that. People call us take our hotline, 323-522-4032. Once again, thank you everybody out there who support us on Patreon. We really do appreciate it. Um, you keep it sick and wrong every week. You really do. Yeah. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Also, the T Public Store is a, is a great place for you to buy sick and wrong merch. In fact, I don't know where else you can buy sick and wrong merch other than the sick and wrong T Public Store. Is there a sale on at the minute? Probably. There always is. I, I don't know, actually. I'm sure if you if you go to the Sick and Wrong Tea Public Store and there's not a sale, wait a week, there will be one. There will be a sale. Yeah, good. Well, uh, it's not Sick and Wrong, but there's a Billy Joe Shaver t-shirt I want that's on Tea Public. So I'm waiting for a sale. Don't promote other <laughs> Tea Public stores, all right? I will promote Billy Joe Shaver until my dying day. He doesn't get the money Texas for it. Badass. Some other asshole who designed the tea gets the money. Shh, it's Billy Joe. com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Finally here, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. Imagine yourself just wearing your knickers. You know, your hands tied behind your back. Your lipstick smeared. You're crying. And this couple who are feeling each other up, doing some heavy petting, making out, or like, dance. And then they put this song on. Dire Straits, Romeo and Juliet. Could you dance to that, Kate Rambo? Yeah. In those circumstances. It's a good song. I would not stop. It's a great song. Rock song by the British uh, band uh, Dire Straits, uh, written by frontman Mark Knopfler. He wrote this song. 
um, came out on their uh, 1980 record, Making Movies, which is their third studio release. I never knew this. Damn Congratulations to them. <laughs> We're in the show here with uh, Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits. People will be back next week with eight, episode 866. Till then, take a sleazy. Struck Romeo, sing the streets of serenade, laying everybody low with a love song that he made. Find the street light, steps out of the shade, says something like you and me, babe. How about it? Juliet says, Hey, it's Romeo, he nearly gave me a heart attack. He's underneath the window, just singing. My boyfriend's back You shouldn't come around here Singing up at people like that Anyway, what you gonna do about it? Juliet The dice was loaded from the start And I bet Many of you exploded into my heart And I forget, I forget The movie song when you're gonna realize it was just that the time was wrong, Juliet. Come up on different streets, they're both the streets of shame. Both dirty, both mean. Yes, and the dream was just the same. And I dreamed your dream for you And now your dream is real How can you look at me as if I was just another one of your deals When you can fall for chains of silver You can fall for chains of gold You can fall for pretty strangers And the promises they hold You promised me everything You promised me thick and thin, yeah Now you just say, oh, Romeo, yeah you know, I used to have a scene with him, Juliet. When we made love, you used to cry. Said I love you like the stars above. I love you till I die. There's a place for us. You want a movie song? When you're gonna realize it was just that the time was wrong, Juliet. Like the talk on the TV And I can't do a love song Like the way it's meant to be I can't do everything But I'll do anything for you I can't do anything except be in love with you And all I do is miss you And the way we used to be All I do is keep the beat Bad company And all I do is kiss you Through the bars of a rhyme Surely I do the stars with it Anytime
struck Romeo to sing the streets of serenade, laying everybody low with a love song that he made. Find the convenient street light, steps out of the shade and says something like, you and me, babe. was biting my tongue on my political opinion because I thought it would be better for my children. And now you look up and my kids are going to a school that teaches black kids a complicated Kwanzaa. I prefer my kids knew Hanukkah than Kwanzaa. At least it will come with some financial engineering.